0: who were your heroes when you were growing up? Think back to your younger days and who was it that you really looked up to? Because if you think about it, you've got like, most of us have it, right? Most of us had somebody, at least one person, some of us several, that we looked up to that we said, I want to be like that because we saw something in them that we aspired to be like. For some of you, you may have wanted to be somebody like this, the quintessential hero, right? You can't beat this guy except for with a little green rock, which I never understood exactly. But but maybe, but maybe that's not you. You're like, no, you don't get it, because uh, I'm, I'm, some of you, half the room, I'm not a man. So I was thinking more of somebody like this. So those two little young girls right there are definitely thinking that. Um, you know, th- I mean, what a hero. What a, a, a truth and justice and, and righteousness. That's kind of what Wonder Woman stands for. It's an incredible thing. And she's got a tiara and a bracelet and bracelets that deflect bullets and a lasso that makes you tell the truth. What more could you want? You're not impressed yet. Okay, how about this? you got to go way back. Some of you are more like this. No, you got to reach back a little further because I need the $6 million man. Some of you who are younger are like, why is he so expensive? But $6 million man, or maybe, again, that's not for you because you're a female, and so you're thinking, no, give me, what was her name? Jamie Summers, yeah? Jamie Summers. And so you spent your days in the playground, and anytime you ran anywhere, you made the noise, didn't you? Right? Everybody, you did You know you did it. I did it too, all right? But again, maybe you're like, no, I'm not into that. I don't like DC comics. I like Marvel comics. So these are my people right here. These are, the room goes, oh yeah, finally, a real hero. Yeah, these are the people that I really care about and I can aspire and be like, but but, but maybe not. Others of you, maybe you need somebody like this, you know, somebody, This is my daughter's. My daughter absolutely loves uh, Ray and wants to be like Ray, wants to wear hair like Ray, the whole picture. But maybe you're like, that's not enough. Brent, this is silliness. These are movie heroes. These are TV heroes. What about somebody that's real? You know, somebody like this. What about somebody that really made a difference in the earth? Like somebody who actually changed society, somebody who changed things and is still, we're still feeling the ramifications of the work that he did, right? Like that's a hero, Or maybe that's not it. Maybe some of you guys, you just like, uh, no, man, I need somebody else that means something to me, you know? Number seven, John Elway. No, that's not doing it for you. All right, how about this? (laughs) All right, somewhat of an anti-hero. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. But some of my heroes growing up, um, I, I always wanted to be this guy. I wanted to be Luke. I wanted to be Luke, and you did too. You remember? You would run around the the, the the backyard with a flashlight at night, and you'd have you'd have duels with your friends with flashlights. anybody anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm the only nerd in the room. That's great. Um, or or I had this was my hero too. I talked about this last week. Danielson, Mr. Miyagi. Like I looked for my own Mr. Miyagi. I kept getting turned down. It never worked out for me, but maybe one day still. I also this guy was a big hero of mine. Ethan Hunt, Mission Impossible. It doesn't matter. You can't keep the guy down. He can get anything done at any time. Or finally, one of my big heroes today, yeah. Jack Bauer. No, no. All the ladies are like, "It's so violent. I just don't. I just, I don't appreciate this." Um, I totally understand. Uh, and I know some of you are like, "No, you missed it completely, bro, because you left somebody out." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We. Can. We shouldn't move on with that. thank you for that smattering of applause for Jesus Christ. Um, so <laughs> the point that I'm trying to get you to, to get you to see here is that you, All of us, we aspire. There, there's something heroic that we latched onto, and we, we want to have some of that in our own lives. We started a series last week called On Purpose, and we're talking about lies that we believe about our potential. If you missed that setup last week, I just want to encourage you to go back to OneChapel.com or search OneChapel on iTunes and go listen to that talk so you can figure out kind of where we are today. But we started in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read a little chunk of scripture again to you. Here's what it says. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress, threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, The Lord is with you. The dude hiding out at the bottom of the wine press, hiding from the Midianites, the angel shows up and says, Mighty hero, the Lord be with you. Every one of us has the thing inside of us that we want to be a hero. Every one of us wants to contribute. Hollywood takes that thing that's inside of us and makes these blockbuster things that we go and give all of our money to. And we buy all of the stuff. We buy every t shirt and action figures because we love the idea of being the hero. And you've done it. You've imagined yourselves. Ladies, you've put on bracelets when you were little and run around the playground and deflecting imaginary bullets because you wanted to be Wonder Woman. You wanted to contribute something. You found something in her that was inspirational. In Spider-Man 2, which, don't judge me, I don't know. I, I know Tobey Maguire. I'm not a Tobey Maguire fan myself from Spider-Man. I'm sorry, we're getting very nerdy here now. But um, I'm more of an Andrew Garfield, which I realize wasn't very popular. Anyway, I digress. Um, so in this movie, Spider-Man 2, there is a scene... Peter Parker, Spider-Man, he, he, he has decided that being Spider-Man is too tough. He's given too much. It's cost him too much. He's sacrificed too much. And so he's given up. And he shows up to Aunt May's house, and she tells him what little Henry Jackson thinks of him, and I want you to watch it.
1: You'll never guess who he wants to be. <laughs> Spider-Man. Why? Well, he knows a hero when he sees one. Too few characters out there flying around like that, saving old girls like me. Lord knows, kids like Henry need a hero. Courageous, self-sacrificing people, setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a hero. People line up for them, cheer them, scream their names, and years later, they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught him to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride. Even though sometimes we have to be steady and and give up the thing we want the most. Even our dreams. Spider-man did that for Henry, and he wonders where he's gone. He needs him. Do you think you could lift that desk and put it into the garage for me? But don't strain yourself.
0: Okay. See, I think it's true. I think there's a hero in everybody, but it's not something that's deep inside of you because of your strong character. It's something that God has actually put inside of you. It's something that God himself, your very creation, he put it inside of you, he infused it into you and gave you some things that he wanted to, for you to use for his glory. And people all over the world are in need of what we all have. Jude Jude, uh, chapter one, because there's only one chapter, Jude verse 20, it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now listen, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Did you catch all of those words? Have compassion, make a difference save with fear, or in other words, show people mercy mixed with fear and help them realize the gravity of their sin and pull them out, pulling them out of the fire. Do you see what he's saying? That's a hero. Those, that's a description of what a hero does. That's who we're supposed to be. And you may not believe it yet over the past two weeks, but you were created for something amazing. According to a Gallup poll, more than three-fourths of all adults say they want to make a difference in the world. They want their lives to count, to have some sort of lasting, uh, positive outcome. But that same poll discovered that more than half of all adults admit they are still seeking to understand the meaning and ultimate purpose for their lives. So as a result, they're just hoping one day, just one day, maybe I can do something. Maybe one day way out in the future, I'll be able to do something incredible and actually contribute and make a difference. Do you see it? Do you see what the poll has discovered? They're saying all of us wants to want to make a difference. All of us want some sort of long-lasting positive impact. Almost everybody wants to be the hero, but most of us don't have a clue how to do it. We don't understand the purpose that God has put inside of us, and it lies dormant and hidden. We miss out on the God-infused part of us because we're just not sure. And today I want us to take another step forward in embracing it. I think this is why the angel tells Gideon in Judges six twelve, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. We know there was nothing heroic about the guy at the time. He was hiding. He was hiding in the bottom of a wine press. And the angel said, mighty hero, the Lord be with you. I think this is where our lives and Gideon's life kind of intersect because most of us want it. We want to know what's the one thing that God has called me to do or what are the things that God has called me specifically to do. But what I've learned over the years in ministry about purpose and about calling is that There are, I think, some major lies that take us off course. And they they keep us from discovering purpose and fulfilling what God has called us to do. I I went on a hike, a massive hike a few years ago. We went to the Wiminucci Wilderness in Colorado. Only a handful of people have really been in the areas where we went to. And so I went with Britt Hancock. Some of you know he's a missionary that we partner with. I went with Pastor Ross. I went with Nate and some other guys. And we went up into the mountains carrying 45 Pound packs on our backs and not on trails. This is the wilderness. I mean, it is a disaster. There's just trees and brush and shrub everywhere. And I, some of you know my story, I had been sick for a couple of years. And so I had a thyroid problem. My thyroid stopped working. And so I was sick and I was weak and I was just kind of losing it. All the hair was falling off and like my legs were completely bare, if I'm honest with you. It was a terrible thing. You're not supposed to giggle at that, but it was kind of funny. Um, I'm like, what's wrong with me? I thought I just turned 35 and things went crazy, but that wasn't what happened. Um, I was sick. So I discovered it and I started getting on medication. My strength started returning, but I'd only been on medication for six weeks when I went on this hike for five days in the wilderness, 45 pound pack. I spent that whole time just trudging through, wondering, am I going to be able to make it to the next hill? Am I going to make it past this tree? Am I going to make it past this shrub? Am I going to be able to chop this down to get through, to get to the place where, am I going to be able to make it to the point where we're supposed to stop tonight? And do you know what I missed for that whole time while I was worrying about this tree and that bush and that shrub? Do you know what I missed? I missed the beautiful views. I missed the hills and the valleys and the mountains. I missed the gorgeous Colorado wilderness. Why? Because I was totally consumed with what was going on here and whether or not I was going to make it. I think life is a light like that sometimes. You've heard the saying, haven't you? You can't see the forest for the trees. And so you, you can't see the beauty and the majesty of a forest and what's going on because you're just stuck on the individual trees. I think our lives get like that. We get stuck on the tree. We get stuck on the stuck on the one thing, the two things, the three things that are right before us. And we can't see the forest. We can't see the bigger story of what God is doing. It's really easy to do in our lives. I think one of these things that that one of the major lies, the tree that keeps us off the path of discovering and pursuing our purpose is thinking that my purpose and my calling. It's connected to my job. That's all it is. My job is my life's purpose and my life's calling. In other words, if I just find the right job, if I just get the right position, if I just have the right title, then I'll really be able to fulfill my purpose and my calling in life. One of the reasons why thinking this will derail you from walking in your purpose is because your purpose and your calling would then be limited to the extent of that work. That's all you would be your purpose would be limited to that work that you do. Think about that for a second. So in a typical job, that would mean your life's purpose would amount to about eh, 50 hours a week, 40 to 50 hours a week, some of you more. Let's say that maybe you believe you are supposed to be a kid's teacher, just like Brett. This is my purpose in life. I'm supposed to be a kid's teacher. And so you stepped into tinies or littles or bigs and you started teaching kids and you did that for two hours a week. What about the the other hours of the week? I, I'm, not, I'm not a great mathematician. I don't know how to do math very well. You can ask my wife. I'm terrible at it. Um, I think that a week has about 168 hours in it. Um, I think I know that because I asked Google, and Google told me. So about 168 hours in the week. So if you, so if you do a job for about 50 hours a week, that leaves you with how many hours? <laughs> exactly. That's what I would say, too. About 118 hours. you got to eat and you got to sleep and all of that. But, but what about those 118 hours? What are you supposed to do? Does that mean that you have zero purpose in that amount of time? Does that mean your life doesn't count during my off hours? Does it mean that my life is split up between the, the common hours and the sacred hours? I have these hours where I don't do anything and my life amounts to nothing. And I have these hours where I'm fulfilling my purpose. Sacred, holy purpose. No, no, that's it doesn't work like that. Our lives aren't supposed to be that way. All of this life that we live is sacred purpose. That'll be the last time I do that. You know, it reminds, reminds me of Brian Houston. That's what I think of purpose. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so you are like, who? He's a preacher. He'll song. Anyway, all of our lives are meant to be that way. All of our lives are meant to, to be filled with the purposes of God. There's no division. Second, if finding your purpose and calling is tied to finding the right job or position, this puts your purpose and calling in the hands of another person. Think about it. What if you came to me and you said, you know what, I believe my purpose is to work for one chapel. And so I want to have a job interview. So we had an interview, and we talked, and we went through it all. And then at the end of the day, we decided, oh, I'm sorry. I just don't think it's the right time or the right position or or the right thing. And so you don't get the job. I'm sorry about that. If you believe that your purpose and calling is just tied to this job at this church, that puts me in the position of being the gatekeeper of you fulfilling your purpose. And that's not true. I don't have that much authority or that much power. You know me. I I can't do that. Which means if I have the power to give you your calling by offering you a job, then it's also true that I have the power to take that away from you. Think about it. How can God expect you to fulfill your purpose when the fulfillment of your purpose is dependent on something that you don't even have influence over? That's why I think it's so important for us to understand that our purpose and our calling, it is not determined by the mood or the opinion of those people that are in authority. It has nothing to do with the job market. Your purpose and your calling has nothing to do with your current economic situation. None of that. And I've heard way too many people use that as an excuse. Well, I didn't get the job and so I can't fulfill my purpose. They're stopping me from doing what God has called me to do. That's not true. You can't use this as an excuse to live a small life. If one door shuts, there will be another door to open. You can't give up. You can't stop. You've got to keep moving forward. Third, If your purpose and calling is tied to finding the right job or position, that means that your purpose and calling is defined by a list of functions and tasks. Look, how how could the weight of your life be defined by a list of functions or tasks? My wife loves lists. She's really good at lists. I'm terrible at lists. Sometimes I feel like my life is guided by her lists. That's another message altogether. But your life and your calling, your purpose is about so much more than this. Think about it. In every job, it comes to a point, pretty much every job comes to a point where you can kind of do it with your eyes closed. You, we, we, we would call it, you can just mail it in. I'm not really thinking. I'm not really working. I can just show up. I can show up. I can do my job, and I can go home. I can punch the clock. I can do my tasks, and I can go home. Do you really think that your purpose and calling is going to be able to be fulfilled by by some tasks, some lists, some half-hearted drive that's in you? It's not. That's not going to work. Your purpose is going to require so much of you. It's going to require you to give all. It's going to require a wholehearted devotion to Jesus. It's gonna require passion of you. It's gonna require you to give more of yourself to fulfill it. You won't be able to do it half-heartedly. You already know that nothing works if you do it halfway. I mean, just think about it for a second. If you're a teenager, think about it. Try obeying your parents halfway, right? Like they say, hey, go take out the garbage. You say, okay. And so you take the garbage out and you walk it halfway down the driveway, Poof, drop it there and go back in. See how that works out for you. Right, like husbands, wives, try being married halfway. Try caring for them halfway. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna be really kind to you on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'll throw in Sunday, all right? The other, it doesn't work. Try getting dressed halfway and going to work. It won't work. You're going to jail. You already know that doing things halfway doesn't work. Your purpose will not work with you just giving halfway, half-hearted devotion, halfway desire, halfway drive, halfway fulfillment of that purpose. It won't work. You've heard it said like I have that the most spectacular vistas require traveling through the roughest and most dangerous trails. I think your purpose is going to require some of that from you. It's going to require faith. It's going to require risk. I love this quote from Theodore Roosevelt. He said, it's not the critic who counts. You got to keep that in mind, especially on Facebook. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcomings. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause? who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Your purpose is going to require something of you. It's going to require all of you. It's going to require risk. It's going to require faith. It's going to require wholeheartedness. Every preacher worth his salt in a sermon has to have one of two people, C.S. Lewis or William Wallace that was meant to be a joke it's not a real thing so everyone's like i didn't know that that's really really interesting is that one chapel college they teach that there i don't i don't understand that's not true i don't have c.s lewis i do have william wallace every man dies not every man really lives (laughs) thank you (laughs) ha i believe that every man dies but not every man really lives Not every man, not every woman really lives. Not everyone experiences the fullness of the life that God has called us to. And everybody, I don't want that to be us. That should not, that cannot be our church family. That we don't really live because we don't decide to take the risk to live all out. And to see what God might have us to do in our lifetime. That's why your purpose and your calling, it can't ever be fully contained or fulfilled by any job, any title, any position. I just want you to get that out of your head. If we're ever going to really discover the purpose and meaning of our lives, we first have to rise above the trees to see the rest of the forest. We've got to rediscover the forest. We've got to get above the trees. And I think that rising above the trees of your life, it requires something, something simple, and we would call it maybe proactive reflection. It's just a fancy way of saying it requires you to stop, to pause for a minute, and to look back on the course of your life and to see where God moved and what he did and how he might be leading you and how he might be guiding you. It's pretty cool. There's a counselor and author, his name was Richard Lader, and he, he asked senior citizens over a 25-year span how they would live their lives differently if they could do it over again. And every one of them, without fail, said these three things. First, they said that if they could live their lives over again, they would be more reflective. They got so caught up in the doing that they lost sight of the meaning, so caught up in the now that they lost sight of the meaning, everything else that was going on around them. Second, they would take more risks. Almost all of them said they felt most alive when they took risks. Third, they would understand what really gave them fulfillment was doing something that contributes to life, adding value to life beyond yourself. If we're smart this morning, we're gonna listen to people who have gone on before us and we're gonna learn the lessons from them. We're gonna do what they did because we have the opportunity now to do those three things. That's what I'm talking about this morning. It reminds me of Moses' prayer in Psalm 90, verse 12. He said, teach us how short our lives really are so that we may be wise. Teach us, help us to remember, God, that our lives are short. They're just, they're a vapor. It's a breath. It's over. It's done quickly. So help me to look for the opportunities and to be wise and take every advantage that I can while I'm here to see the big overall picture of what you're going to do. Oswald Chambers would say it this way, looking back, we see the presence of an amazing design, which if we are born of God, we will credit to God. Okay, now listen, we can all see God in exceptional things, but it requires the culture of spiritual discipline to see God in every detail. It's proactive reflection to stop and to think and to pay attention to what he's doing. Never allow that the haphazard is anything less then God's appointed order and be ready to discover the divine designs everywhere. This is what we have to do. If you're wondering about your purpose and who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, I want you to pause and I want you to begin to think back on your life and start to pay attention. When I was a kid, five or six years old, most of you have heard the story. I was outside the parking lot at my dad's church, and the Lord spoke to me so clearly that I remember it. And he said, when you're older, you're going to work with young people. And that sent me on a journey for the rest of my life. It meant that I was faithful in youth group. And as I was faithful as a kid in youth group, the youth pastor would say, hey, Brent, so great to have you here. I'm glad you're, you're really helping out and contributing. Oh, great. Thank you. Then I would start leading small groups. I'd lead any small group that I could. I would become a student leader. I'd do anything that I could. And people would say, hey, it's like you got a knack for this. Like, you you just have a thing. You're pretty good at this. And I'd say, oh, wow, thank you. They're not complimenting me just. They're they're helping me discover. Do you see what's happening? I'm starting to hear the confirmation of what God is doing. I'm getting away from just the trees, and I'm seeing the forest. I had a call, and now it's starting to be confirmed. You see it happening? And then I'd go lead worship at a youth camp, and someone would just come up to me out of the blue and say, hey, Wow, it's like you really belong here. And I would say, oh, check, that's another one. That's God. Again, he's he's setting me up. He's helping me see it. He's helping me understand where I'm headed and where I'm going. I'd go to college and I would study youth ministry. And people would say, wow, this is really where you're supposed to be. Do you see it? you see what's happening? As I look back over the course of my life, I can see. It wasn't just a moment where I I heard, oh, I think I'm supposed to do something. All along the way, God was speaking. He was guiding. He was leading. Little by little, he was giving me opportunity to lead this group. He was giving me opportunity to pastor this group. He gave me opportunity after opportunity, and I figured out who he was calling me to be, and I fulfilled it, and I still love it to this day, and I really think you guys are incredible, Uh, and I'm still in the process today. The same thing happened with me coming here. I felt like God said, hey, now is the time for you to move to Kyle and start serving in one chapel. And my wife and I heard that. And so we said yes. We didn't know what the future was going to hold. But then it just became clear as it unfolded. As I look back and I see the way our house sold and the way that we we purchased this house and the way that that, uh, everything just fell into line, thing after thing after thing, it fell into place. And it was very clear that God was leading us to be here. Do you see how it happens? Just little by little, little by little. If you'll just stop and pause, get your eyes off the trees, get your eyes off the thing that's right in front of you and see the bigger picture of what God is doing. A lot of us think, uh, he doesn't want to show me. He doesn't want me to know. I don't know what it is. It's like he doesn't like me or something. Like he just wants to hold it up for me. So it's like he's dangling a carrot over you saying, here's your purpose. Here's your purpose. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Not today. Here's your purpose. you really jumped that time do you really think god is some big mean kid in the sky with you down here going oh i just want to know oh oh why why can't i just grab it i i got no ups really seriously oh i i just can't i can't grab it i can't get it that's not what he's doing could it be though that he's just unfolding it a little bit at a time that he's doing it for a reason. I don't know. There's actually a verse that we're not going to read today. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 10 is probably in your notes. Go and read it later. But could it be that God is just trying to protect it and keep it safe? What if God gave it all to us all at once? Could it be that maybe the enemy would push harder, fight harder, punch harder to try to get you to fail, to ruin it? If the enemy saw the scope of who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, but he can't do that. The plan just unfolds piece by piece by piece, and he can't stay ahead. You see it happen when the, the demon spirits at the crucifixion, they're, they're wandering around helping, telling the crowd to, to yell and scream, crucify him, crucify him. And they're stirring up the crowd so that they'll, they'll cause the authorities to send Jesus to the hill and crucify him. And they're stirring it up. The demon spirits are stirring it up. They're saying crucify him. The demons didn't know. They were playing right into the hands of God the Father. And by doing all of that, they came to his will. He won. Jesus died. Beat death. Death, sell him. Death, sell him? How about death, hell, and sin? That's the better thing to beat. He beat all of those things once and for all eternity. He did that. Could it be that he's just giving you piece by piece? I think there's another reason, too, why he does this. He gives it to us little by little. He uncovers it little by little. And it's because he wants you to be dependent on him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to love him. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to be close to him. He wants you to live in undivided devotion to him, wholehearted, I think a lot of us, we we like we just prayed about earlier this this morning, we're praying Jesus is here and He's got a plan and a purpose. And we decide I'm gonna do my own thing, God. I'm gonna live my own life. I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps, I'm gonna make life work, I'm gonna fix it, I'm gonna solve it, I'm gonna fix it, I'm gonna make this happen. I can do it. I'm strong enough, I'm good enough. Doggone it, people like me. I can do it. Right? And he's over here saying, I'm here. I'm right here. I've got plans. I've got purpose. I've got everything that you need. Just come and be with me. Nope, I'm strong. I'm independent. I can do it myself. And he's back here saying, I'm going to die. He's back here saying, he's, just, no, just come. Just come to me. I love you. I've got everything that you need. Just come and give your heart to me. Surrender everything to me. Be in relationship with me. Love me. He's just calling out to us. And we're saying, nope, I'm strong. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Why then, God, will you not show me my purpose? You understand what I'm saying? What all he's saying is, if you'll just turn around, if you'll just, come, if you'll just come back, if you'll stop trying to do it on your own, if you'll stop trying to fix it by yourself, if you'll stop trying to, to worship this thing or that thing or satisfy yourself with this or with that, if you'll just come back to me, I've got it all. And if you'll just come and be in relationship with me and fall down at my feet and live in wholehearted devotion to me and be close to me and let me speak to you and you speak to me and we live this life together partnering in the earth to see more of the kingdom of god come if you just do this i'll unfold it for you over time but you're not going to find it over there you're going to find it with me i think that's why he doesn't give it to us all at once he's not mad at you he doesn't want you to miss it he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't want you to wander around blindly He has a plan, a purpose. He's put stuff inside of you that wants to come out. But he's the one who helps to come out. Maybe another way to say this is we should just stop looking for the purpose and we should just start looking to him. And the purpose will begin to unfold. I believe it happens that way. Why don't you close your eyes and you guys come on back up. can't really say all of that without giving you the opportunity to respond to it so with your eyes closed and reverent wholehearted devotion to jesus i just want you to pause for a minute and ask the spirit of god to speak to you that may be new to some of you (laughs) i don't do that all i'm saying is just pray and ask god to speak to your life and to show you an area where maybe you've done this. You've tried to satisfy yourself with something else. You've tried to live life on your own strength. You've tried to manhandle purpose. And you've been frustrated. Why don't things work? And why can't I find my way? And, and maybe the reality is, is that you've gone distant. Turned your back on him and living your own life under your own strength. And he's saying, if you'd just come back, i got open arms for you. I paid the price for you. I sent my one and only son into the earth and he died and and, and his sacrifice and his shed blood means that you can be restored to a right relationship with the father because all you earned through your sin was death. So Jesus died so you don't have to die. Now because of that, because God is completely holy and we are not, because Jesus died and gives us his righteousness we get to come in and be in relationship with God the Father it's the coolest thing some of you just need to do that today you need to make the choice I'm going to believe it and I'm, I'm going to say yes to Him. some of you are just distant and you just need to come back you need to get back on track tomorrow when you get up you need to open the Bible and you, need to, you need to remember him Spend some time in prayer. You need to sit down before you go to bed and pray with your kids. Just need to come back. So if that's you, I just want you to pray a prayer similar to this right there in your seat. Heavenly Father, we just come to you again. We're sorry. Would you forgive us for sin? Would you forgive us for the way that we've lived our own lives and we've tried to be independent, we've tried to manhandle it, we've tried to find purpose outside of you and it's not gone well. So God, forgive us. Would you forgive me of all my sin? Uh, I confess it to you, all my pride and my rebellion and my arrogance. I, I turn back to you. Today I, I, I repent. I, I'm giving up the old way of living and I'm choosing a new life in you. So forgive me, wash me, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my soul, and the King of my heart. I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for saving.